Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back, everybody. Second hour of Oilers now. Again, it is 630 Cheds Radiothon for the Stollery Children's Hospital at number 1-866-407-KIDS. 1-866-407-KIDS. We will tell you that we're in the superpower hour for CTL Canada. That's CTL Canada. And if we get 30 uh, monthly donors in this hour, CTL Canada will give $15,000. We are going to tell you that the second hour of Oilers now is brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The world of spas, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. Uh, we're not going to do open line today, but keep texting us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors. 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. Uh, in this hour, in uh, 37 seconds time, one of the uh, greatest midget AA defensemen in the history of the uh, Knights of Columbus, Mike House, coming up. Uh, Colby Cohen. Uh, from Blacklocks Television, he's their uh, analyst. He played uh, briefly in the National Hockey League, was a real good NCAA player. And John Shannon for our friends at uh, Legacy Heating and Cooling. But without further ado, uh, we go to the president and the CEO of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. We welcome back to the show former KFC legend Mike House. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, hey, Bob. Uh, I can't help but laugh because I'm more famous for the people that I played with than the actual playing itself. So thanks for the... Thanks yeah, for the who, now, who was the best uh, guys you would have played with at that time? Uh, I played with... Uh, well, so I didn't... So when I was growing up, I actually... I, I grew up in Otwell, and I played with some amazing hockey players. Barry Chizowski, John Good, Neil Smith. Uh, John Good was the best player I ever played with, in my opinion. He was an amazing leader of... of, of kids and teams and and uh but then i ended up uh, going to kc hockey and i played with some great people but we ended up playing against a lot of those guys and um you know there's always got to be a team that you look forward to playing on the schedule because you can pad your stats uh we were that team i, I recall <laughs> <laughs> in fact i think i got two and eight seconds against you guys back at 82 83 uh, like a great score. Yes, yes. Uh, you may have been the defenseman on the second one. <laughs> I, I think I was. Yes. It's okay. It happens once in a while. Even let's just say it. Even a blind squirrel finds out an acorn or something. And uh, we went to high school together. One of the guys that was there at that time was Greg Parks. He's no longer with us. Yep. He was. Uh, uh, if I had had uh, his level of competitiveness at my size at that age, I, I probably would have had a 15-year pro career. Uh, and today, Greg in a 32-game NHL, he would have played. 15 years in the National Hockey League. He's no longer with us, and we miss him every day. All right, look, today is uh, about the uh, Stollery Children's Hospital. It is a 630 Chet Chorus Radiothon. Um, 
let me ask you this: uh, How and we've had, you know, we're going to have stories throughout the course of the day. In, uh, in our first hour, uh, we heard from Ashley talking about her daughter uh, Sawyer, who's had multiple uh, uh, heart surgeries during her time at the Stollery. So I guess you know these are these are wonderful stories, and and we've got some, you know, some hard nosed guys that are breaking down hearing those stories. But let me ask you first of all, uh, what what it's like to be a part of uh, the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, and and just you know how rewarding of a job it is for you personally to see uh, you know sort of the implementation of, of where the donations get used to help benefit the hospital. Well, it's a great it's a it's a great job. Uh, it's uh, honestly the best best thing I could possibly put my time to, and I'm, I feel so lucky to meet so many so many great families, uh, and for the most part, so many great outcomes. Uh, and you know, the Stollery had. Over 300,000 kids visit them last year. I mean, there's only a million kids in Alberta uh, and southern and northern Alberta, and we get kids from across the province. Uh, we had 50 people from Lethbridge and Medicine Hat come. We had uh, 500 families from Calgary. So it's truly an Alberta, Alberta-based hospital. Um, but to your point, um, I, I've had a chance to hear kids' stories or meet parents uh, whose kids have, whose kids' lives have been saved. I've also heard stories of kids uh, who have just broken an arm uh, or uh, sprained an ankle and still get amazing care. And so the thing that I would say is it's a hospital for everybody at all stages and ages of life uh, up to the age of 18, and we're really lucky to have it in our own backyard. All right. Uh, how does the foundation funding uh, enhance the hospital? Uh, we do it two ways. Uh, we really focus on two things. One is uh, improving patient outcomes, and the second one is taking care of the entire family. So let me quickly explain that. From a, from a patient outcomes perspective, uh, we in Alberta have a standard living of, of care, uh, but it's based upon being an adult. And the truth of the matter is, uh, once you're an adult, you're fully formed, uh, your organs are not growing, your bones are not growing, you're just basically aging. Uh, but we have kids that um, are born, I, I talked to a lady yesterday, her, her daughter was born 900 grams. Like it's, it's it, that small, uh, all the way through to man children that's uh, bigger than Golden Perico from Fort, Fort, uh, Fort McMurray. So you've, you've got a whole line of groups and whether it's the equipment that we use and we buy that's specific for kids, whether it's the additional research that we're investing in to develop cures or uh, uh, test protocols for, for, new, uh, for, for new medicines, uh, or whether it's the training that we send docs away and then they come back and now they can do things that no one else can. Uh, that's, that's the patient outcome part. The family center care part is, you know, Bob, we, we've never seen a four-year-old check into the hospital by themselves. Um, uh, we, we always have parents, we have brothers and sisters coming along, families come along, and, and we got to take care of that entire family. So a, a really good example of this is, God forbid, you have a child that passes away at the Stollery. In every other hospital on an adult side, uh, then, then you're on your own. We will care for that family who's lost a child up to a year afterwards and their brother and their sister and their and their relatives we'd really try to take care of everybody uh as a, as a unit and that way kids do get home faster they heal uh and ultimately we're getting kids back to their backyards and and having fun and playing hockey we had uh, a brutal stretch here uh due to covid as we know uh there in, and we've heard a lot about frontline workers and i'm just wondering what are some of the struggles that frontline workers at the Stollery are working through uh in the current hospital within a hospital setting at the Stollery? 
Yeah, so we have amazing talent, uh, but that hospital was designed in 1974, built in 1984. Uh, when it was built, um, there was no understanding that that would be a, the second largest children's hospital in Canada. And so the facilities are not set up for families and kids. And as a result of that, um, you know, you put pressure on the staff to kind of accommodate as best as they can. But, you know, for example, uh, we have... Uh, we, we we didn't have an appropriate play area. Well, kids got to still have to play. They still have to grow. They still have to learn. Um, uh, we need appropriate space to make that happen. And so our goal, our ultimate goal, is to actually try to convince the provincial government to uh, allow our foundation to raise some money to to help build a new children's hospital for for kids all across Western Canada that can use it and um, and have customized appropriate space for kids ultimately for the next several generations to come. But in the meantime, uh, I, I just want to let everybody know, we got an amazing hospital here. They're doing an amazing job, and the talent is second to none. How can people advocate uh, for a purpose-built uh, Stollery Hospital? What can, what can people do to get, get involved and support this? What, uh, what the government has told us is that they need to hear from their constituents to know that it's a priority. And so we've created a website called StollerytomorrowandToday.com com. You can send a letter to your MLA. You can share your own story, or if you want, there'll be a letter that has been crafted for you, and you can adjust it as you wish. You can learn more about it. Uh, when the election happens, I'll, I'll tell you that we're going to have some some lawn signs where they'll be apolitical. So whether you're on the orange team or the blue team, we want everybody to be on the purple team and just let people know that a new Stollery Children's Hospital is is something that's important to them. And and then talk to the people who are trying to get elected and let them know that uh, this is this this is something that you care about. Uh, we have had a hundred thousand plus people in the Edmonton area and surrounding area donate to the Stollery every year. So we're hoping that 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 will resonate with people and ultimately you'll. You'll share how you care about kids. Mike, you did uh, an excellent job of that, about as well as you did back in 1982-83, handling a uh, a, a five foot eleven, hundred ninety pound right shot or left shot right wing that cheated all over the ice to try to poach goals on you. So, solid job, my man. I uh, first of all, you're way tougher than I ever was, uh, and part of that was well, your hockey sense, but part of that was just your competitiveness. And uh, uh, anybody that makes fun of Bob Stoffer and how bad a hockey player is, you should compare him to guys like me, and then you'll realize he was quite a good player. So there you go. Flattery gets you everywhere. Best of luck with this, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. You bet. That is the president and the CEO of the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation, the second largest children's hospital in Canada. Mike House joining us. And yes, I played against him way back in the day. Good guy. Uh, undersized defenseman. Uh, and I lack the speed, talent, agility, coordination, toughness, character, and discipline to have even earned an NCAA uh, college scholarship. They'd get some letters uh, back in the day, but never got the full scholarship. And we're going to head off next to our next guest. By the way, at a Stollery Children's Hospital, the number to donate, one 407 kids And you'll hear more of the, the stories from the families coming up after uh, orders now today. But at this time, we are going to head off uh, to get a perspective on the Chicago Blackhawks. And we welcome back to the show... He played the NCAA, uh, spent some time in the National Hockey League. He's uh, relatively uh, early in what will unlike, uh, undoubtedly be a long NHL broadcasting career. We welcome back to the show, Colby Cohen. Hi, Colby. How you doing? What's going on, Bob? I appreciate uh, all the nice words, and, and I appreciate you know getting to listen to your, your friend talk about the, the Children's Hospital. I, I 
have a hard time believing that that anybody wouldn't want to be behind a children's hospital. So it's uh, it's nice to hear you guys talking about it. I, I found the one guy out there that I actually beat on a one-on-one in midget double-A. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's because you didn't play against me because you'd have gone right around me as I looked down at the puck. So don't worry. All right. Uh, let's talk a bit about the Chicago Blackhawks squad, which is actually playing pretty well of late here. They spanked the Calgary Flames last night. Uh, the Blackhawks come in with only six road wins this season, but they are 7-3 in the last 10 games. Are they screwing up the master plan that is Kyle Davis? Center, is this just a, a natural byproduct of the competitiveness of the players? I think this is a, just a, a product of the competitiveness of the players. Uh, I really do, and 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 the coaching staff. I think you can you can put in there, and and you know, talking to Kyle as much as I really do, I, I do not think wins here bother him. And I know everybody you know wants to see Connor Bedard here in Chicago next year, but. You know, there's a lot of hockey games left, and and I think you know the guys putting together a good stretch that's really derived around two things: working harder than the opponent and and playing smart and not shooting themselves in the foot. And I think that's led to some success as of late. And and you know, Bob, as you've covered the NHL for a long time, you you get into the dog days of the season. Players are looking at their vacation and you know, their all-star break and, you know, they see the Blackhawks coming into town and, and a lot of teams are taking them lightly. Um, and so I give them credit. They, they've played hard. They've been entertaining the fourth, third and fourth line has chipped in and, and, and advanced the scoring and, and, and Seth Jones has taken his game to another level and has, you know, dominated a lot of hockey games as of late. Well, I do recall, uh, and I think it was during the 12, 13 season. So the Hawks ended up winning the cup that year. Uh, now somebody's going to correct me. Now I'm going to have to look at it. But there was a game in which Sam Gagne had eight points uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. And in that season, the Oilers, who were, make no mistake, in a full-blown rebuild, um, you know, they, 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 were, they were struggling at that time. Uh, bottom line was they, they scored 17 goals in two home games that year against Chicago. And that's when the Hawks were an absolute force. Yeah, it was actually during yeah. the 11-12 season, so uh, the Hawks uh, did not win the Cup that season. It was during the 11-12 season, but Edmonton scored in the first half of the season. Nugent Hopkins had five points, and the Oilers beat the Hawks 9-2, and then Gagne got four goals and eight points, uh, one phantom assist, and in both cases, I swear, the Hawks just <laughs> completely dismissed and looked past the Edmonton. I mean, the Hawks were at the height of their powers from 2010 to 2015, Colby. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's, it shows that, you know, you really can't sleepwalk your way through games. And, and I, we saw it with Colorado coming into town a couple of weeks ago, sort of at the beginning of this stretch. Um, you know, they basically just showed up and thought, we're going to strap it on, the jersey on, and, and we're going to beat the Blackhawks. And, you know, that, that wasn't the case. And I, I remember even talking to Joe Sackick after the game, and Joe is telling me, look, if this isn't a wake-up call for our group, then I'm not sure there will be one. Now, since they've won, you know, like maybe eight of ten games since right. they lost to us, and they, they're starting to look like that team again. But you can't take a night off in this league, Bob. You've been around long enough to know that. Um, you'll still win some games, but, but ultimately, you know, you got a Blackhawks team that's playing for pride and a team that – 
is going to play hard and try to play physical and guys are going to stick up for each other and and guys are auditioning for jobs elsewhere i mean in a rebuild there's no secret to the fact that like everybody's available and <laughs> and players players are playing for the other teams and the other gms that are in the building every night watching hockey games Blackhawks only have 13 players under contract next year at $36 million, two staples of their organization. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze are both pending UFAs. Quick hitter, uh, do we know if Taze is going to be available tomorrow against the Oilers? He didn't play last night against Calgary. Yeah, no, he, he's a little bit under the weather, and as of yesterday, it, it was a uh, non-COVID-related illness, and I haven't heard anything different. So I, I would say my my guess would be that he would be available, um, but, but that's purely speculative, um, you know, I, just based on how he's feeling. Um, but, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in the lineup tomorrow night. All right, so they got these two guys that are first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, we're joined by Colby Cohen. He's an analyst on the Chicago Blackhawks television broadcast. Podcast. Uh, they can stay in Chicago, they can re-sign, or they can get moved, and the Blackhawks to, could add to an asset pool that's got them with 12 picks in the first three rounds of the next two years. So they've got a first and a second and a third and uh, two picks in each of those rounds in the next couple uh, NHL drafts. You got any feel right now what's maybe going on from a, a management perspective or, or specifically with either Kane or Taze? You know, I'm not going to – I don't want to be misleading, and so I'm going to tell you that I I have a feel, but it's a personal feel. I do not have any information, and I do not think that the players truly know what their plan is yet. Like, that is the most true thing that I I could tell you that I'm sure of is that neither of these two players has fully made a decision, and I think that both players – wake up some days and feel like, okay, it's time to move on. And then I think both players wake up some days and say, you know what? I want to be a part of this and I can't see myself playing anywhere else. And this has been 16 years of not going to other teams, locker rooms and other. So I, I really truly believe the players are still completely torn and up in the air. My gut feeling though, if I'm, if I'm just telling you, Purely my own gut feeling is that both players will be moved, and I do not think either player will be back next season. And and it's just that's just my gut feeling. Um, I think it's going to be a, a tough day here in Chicago, and and I think ultimately both players are just such competitors, like at their core, that I think that's what's going to win out when they're weighing the pros and cons of, of continuing to be Blackhawks and finishing their careers wearing the same sweaters that they had and, and deciding if it's time to go elsewhere. I just think at the end of the day, these are two players that if you look at their history, all they know is winning and all they know is competing and all they know is pushing players you know, as hard as they possibly can, like Michael Jordan did in the last dance documentary. I mean, that's how these guys are built. They are built to challenge their teammates, push their teammates, uh, carry the mail, be the faces. And I just think at the end of the day, Bob, I think that's what's going to win out in their decision-making. And that's ultimately why I do not think these guys are going to be here long-term. But uh, I'm telling you that, and that's, that's really 
just a, a pure speculation, pure gut feeling, because I, I truly believe within talking to these guys, which I do, and I see them every day after practice and, you know, on the road and this and that, I, I do think both of these guys are having a very difficult time with this decision and are both very torn over what they're going to do. Can Max Domi and Sam Lafferty help good NHL teams? I I think absolutely. I, I think, you know, you, you look at Sam Lafferty and you look at his cap hit and you look at, you know, where he understands his game is and his role. Like, I think he can help any team tomorrow. And, and I think same could be said about Max Domi. I mean, you know, Max has played in a first-line role here and a starring role here. Uh, if he were to go to a cup-contending team, does he still fit into that maybe first-line role? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, you know, based on sort of the history. But I've seen enough out of these guys to really appreciate that these are, these are good pros. These are guys who do little things well. These are good teammates. They stick up for their teammates. They're both willing to put their bodies on the line, block shots. They both win face-offs. I think they're very attractive players to any team that's looking to push, you know, get themselves over the hump. Maybe there's a guy somewhere in your top six, your top nine, that needs to fall back a little bit into more of a third, fourth line role. And I think both of these players can provide, you know, the depth into anywhere from, you know, the second, third, or, or, or fourth line for, for a real nice contender. Well, one of the problems the owner's going to have with tomorrow against the Hawks is the Hawks got three guys can flat out win draws. So you got Taze at 63%. Domi is at 554 He's a $3 million cap hit. And Lafferty at $1.15 million is at 53%. And Edmonton, you got to work to get the puck back when you keep losing faceoffs. Hey, Colby, you did a great job. Thanks for your time, my man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, and you know what? You just taught me something there. I thought that Sam Lafferty had a lower cap hit than that. I, I was under the impression. I guess maybe last season he must have been at 750 or 800, and he, he must have got a little raise this season. So good for him. It's well-deserved. He's been our most consistent or our best forward, and I think you'll you'll enjoy the way he plays and, and watching him tomorrow night. I've so only been calling me. Yeah, absolutely. I've only been calling for the orders to trade for, for three months. Thanks a lot, Colby. Uh, Take care. He'd look good. All right, bye, Bob. Thanks a lot. That's Colby Cohn. It is uh, 126 in Edmonton. We're going to tell you, Guests and Oilers now receive gift certificates to Japanese Village for 50 years, Edmonton's destination for a celebration of the census. Reserved today at jvedmonton.ca. The Oilers now injury report brought to you all season long by James H. Brown. Injury lawyers, I saw Trent Brown last night at photo night at Rogers Place. Uh, when accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. It's as simple. They got the most experienced 250 plus years. I get you the best results. Connor Yamamoto skating for the second consecutive day. Evander Kane back from a personal leave. I fully expect him to play tomorrow. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Evan Cook. And uh, we are part of the 630 Chad Radiothon, Chorus Radiothon for the Stollery Children's Hospital.